Hello, I'm Carrie Gard, and welcome to Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. What's most important is that you make decisions. Every meeting that you're in, you're making decisions. Welcome to season 13. We're kicking off the fourth year, four years of podcasting. Amazing. Four years of podcasting. This is an amazing lineup. I, oh my gosh, this season, what a, what a way to end 2022. I just amazing guests with the forethought of not just marketing, but leadership as a whole and the way that they lead their teams and the way they think about engaging and connecting with their audience and this is an awesome way to kick off this this season with Patrick Garrity. On this episode, I had the absolute pleasure of standing, walking, and riffing with Patrick. We were standing desk to desk and dug into how to be decisive. As marketing leaders trying to grow tech companies with very lofty, lofty goals that y'all have, you have to make 100 decisions a day which can get overwhelming and completely daunting. I picture Chidi from The Good Place when I think about the inability to make decisions, right? Like it gives you a stomach ache and you, and you hold your stomach every time you're like, oh, I have to make this really tough decision. And it starts to feel easy at first and then it gets really overwhelming. And Patrick somehow has managed to find his way through that he shares how he's been able to do this day in and day out while moving towards lofty goals and getting and and the magical thing about the way Patrick does this is that he gets buy-in from key stakeholders every step of the way. It's not just about making decisions, but it's how you make those decisions and then bring people in along with you to agree to those decisions that you're making fast and furious. Before we get into the episode, a little about Patrick. Patrick Garrity is a go-to marketing specialist with over 15 plus years of experience providing marketing, sales, and product expertise to high growth SaaS startups with a primary focus on cybersecurity. This is important because cybersecurity audiences are unique and their own right in how you have to market to them. And so when you're a startup and you're a startup in cyber, the fact that you can come in and make really thoughtful, clear, decisive decisions on a regular basis is kind of mind-boggling. And the one thing that Patrick and I talk about, because I don't want to sugarcoat this or make it sound really easy, like he has no problem doing this. I mean, he did experience burnout and we touch on that. And I think this is a really important conversation for leaders everywhere to know that as hard as your job is, you are still human and life is still real and you have an important job to do. And how can you do that in a way that doesn't cause a huge mental health fallout? I'm so thrilled to kick this whole season off with this conversation in particular. So put on your trainers, grab your headphones and walk with us. Here's my conversation with Patrick.
Hi, Patrick. Thank you for joining me on Tech Marketing Leader Podcast. Hey, Carrie. How are you? Good, thanks. I'm excited to have you and to have this conversation. It's going to be good. Thank you so much. It's going to be good. Before we get there, though, share with our listeners, Patrick, what do you do and how did you get there? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm VP of Marketing at Nucleus Security, uh, and I just joined a little over two months ago. And uh, previously, I built a lot of different or helped scale a lot of different um, cybersecurity companies. Uh, so was part of, uh, as VP operations, um, building sales, marketing, and product at Blue Mira. Um, I helped spin census out of the University of Michigan. And then I was the uh, eighth employee at Duo Security. And we went on to have an acquisition uh, with Cisco. Uh, I think we were about 800 people there. And there I did, um, I started as an ADR, actually, if you can believe that. Uh, ADR account executive, I guess, both functions, and then um, uh, took over sales engineering, built uh, sales engineering, and then moved to Europe, uh, did um, the European operation, kind of restructuring that, and then uh, moved back home and took on product marketing. So I just like to play a lot of different roles. Where were you in Europe? Uh, I was in central London. Oh, man, you're like right there. Yeah, uh, I lived in, we lived in uh, Holland Park, uh, which is, my wife was like, we have to live near Kensington Palace. <laughs> a, a woman with goals. I like that. I like that. I appreciate her a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm in the UK, so it's, uh, it's, it's a great spot. Although the gray, the gray does. <laughs> does wear on it's you a bit. <laughs> um, so you've always been in cyber security then? Well, relatively speaking, I mean, about 10 years now, but previously I was in um, more of like managed service provider business space. Um, and like I, like I had my own geek squad at one time. That's originally, you know, some of the entry to tech. Uh, so I was very hands-on technical at one point. Um, not so much anymore. <laughs> I, would, I would hope not. Um, you on the time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you still, you still, yeah, you still make time. Like I get into our product and, and I think that's important for a lot of marketers is like, you should try and get hands-on in your product if you can, because it allows you to tell the story better. Um, and so I, I, I am a marketer that it's like, I log into our product. I create even the videos themselves of the demos um, and try and be involved because then you can, you can explain it better to the prospective customers. Definitely. I think, yeah, I think you're in a good spot too, when you come in relatively early, which it sounds like you've done every time. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually, I think the latest stage company I've ever, <laughs> I've ever joined. Uh, and I mean, we we just did, I think it's series B or A, I'm not sure. I think B, I should know that. Um, but yeah, this is probably the latest stage company I've joined. And how big uh, is the company? We're, we're now, um, we're now, I think approaching 75 employees. We're over 50. Definitely. Yeah. And last quarter we, we just, um, we grew over 50% employees quarter over quarter, uh, which is exciting. That is exciting, but it's kind of crazy to think that it's like a, 50, 60 person company. And then there's like three marketing people. Yeah. I mean, and also half the, half, half the company wasn't here at the beginning of the year. 
Uh, so it's like everyone's, you know, new, everyone's coming up to speed. We're all learning to work together, which is a lot of nice. fun. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, I got to ask, cause I just read this interesting article on LinkedIn about cybersecurity burnout and you've been in cyber for 10 years now. It seems like you're not losing any speed. Um, oh no, I, I burned out. Um, before this job, I, I was off for six months <laughs> for, I was still doing stuff in other projects, but like, yeah, I think burnout is real and people need to realize that like, it's not the, the industry's responsibility or your employer's responsibility to solve for that. I think that it's more important that like you need to solve that at an individual level is probably most important. Um, I mean, certainly employers should encourage and you see a lot of mental health focus and things like that, which are really important. But for myself, what's what was harder is like high ADHD, uh, high anxiety. Like if I could, I would work seven days a week. And when you're in cybersecurity, you can work seven days a week. Um, and so I, I personally believe it's like, it's more about self-control than actually it's about, um, uh, in, in mental health and mindfulness than it is actually, um, as much of an industry responsibility, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it it is. It's a two-way street for as much as we want to do for business as a, from a business standpoint, as a business owner, speaking from that place, as much as we would love to do all of the things for our employees and still make money. <laughs> it's really, really, it's a really tough balance. So as an employer, I'm trying to do everything I possibly can between the PTO days, the mental health days, the yeah. making sure that like the healthcare we provide has um, therapy in it and you know, as much as we possibly can. But I agree with you, it, it can all be there, but you gotta take advantage of it too. Yeah. And Hey, I'm not, I'm not saying that employers don't have responsibility too. I think like as a manager, it's like, I'm always asking, when are you going to take vacation? Are you getting enough time to yourself? Are you getting time off? Um, we're, we're thinking about when I'm pinging people, uh, on Slack or email, uh, and just trying to be more, I'm not great at all these things. Right. But things that we can do, uh, to make it better for everyone. And uh, a good example is like, I just took a week long vacation. I didn't actually get into not working until Thursday of that week. (laughs) Um, So not the best example, but it's like, sometimes you have to hop in and certain things have to get done. Right. Um, And so it's just being mindful. Like I was like, I'm only going to take these one to two hour meetings on these three days and nothing else. Um, And and, and so I did pretty good, but like, because I had those times, then it gets you thinking about work. And so then you go and do those things. So I, I just think like, you know, from a, from a personal perspective, I was just happy. I got like four or five days, uh, where I ended up not working at all or thinking about it, which is healthy. Uh, so just having that right balance of, of, you know, prioritizing and figuring out how to shut off. I love what you're talking about with your team. I think that's from a manager standpoint, so important, because we tend, you know, as a manager, it's easy to get caught up in your own sort of world of what's going on and balancing the business as a manager and the goals that you have set versus also taking care of your team, which is going to be an awesome because we're going to have a pod, we're going to have a live round table about this in just a few months. So hang on to your ass, people. It's going to be great. But I do want to get back to the conversation we were planning on having around leadership because through your journey and all these cybersecurity companies specifically, and coming in so early and building the team that works best for you and for what you need, 
there's this level of decisiveness that you have that I find fascinating in your ability to move quickly and make decisions, but also balance when to and not to sort of do that. So let's tell the story right now of where you are, and then we'll bring in pieces from your previous employee employer positions. Before you are right now, I mean, obviously, if it's a small team of three, it's very easy to make pretty fast decisions, right? Yeah, but you have to you have to be mindful of the larger company, right? And which things should I do now? What capacity I have? So there's so many factors that it's easy to get caught up in, which a lot of people end up being indecisive because there's so many paths to go down. Uh, really, in a startup like that, it's an infinite number of possibilities of the things you could focus your time on. And you could just sit there and think about uh, making decisions and do nothing, which I've observed people in startups do too, <laughs> which is incredibly imp- unproductive, right? Um, and so one of the things that, that some, you know, Zachary Locker um, was CEO of Duo that I learned from him was um, what's most important is that you make decisions. Every meeting that you're in, you're making decisions. The outcome of everything that you do is making decisions. And if you come to a conclusion and make a decision and do something, your probability is going to be much higher of success than the alternative, which is doing nothing. <laughs> um, uh, you know, if, if that's helpful to understand. Yeah. Uh, so def- definitely focused on, hey, how do, we, how do we make decisions and get to an outcome uh, quicker, faster? Yes to that. I find it difficult to make decisions when I don't have enough information. Do you ever find like if you're walking into every meeting and you have to be decisive is sometimes the outcome of meeting like, okay, the decision I'm making right yeah. now is that I need this more information. Yeah. And then schedule a meeting uh, to make sure you get that information. Uh, that's still a decision, right? Um, that builds an outcome that gets you in the next phase. But it's like, yeah, how, how do I get to the next phase so we can make a decision, right? Uh, who needs to get involved in the decision-making process as well? And one of the things, especially coming in new, I came in like two and a half months ago, is what can I prune immediately in the decision process uh, so that it's easy and simple as possible and it's not um, not well making people feel valued and heard, right? So there's a balance there. But you have all these different um inputs right and people love to give their opinion on things but it 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 doesn't mean it's necessarily going to help that the decision in the outcome um and so i think it's finding the right balance with that it's collecting the right i mean you can collect all the information and all the data in the world but at the end of the day if it gets in your way then is it the right information and the right data i mean people's opinions are important i i, I hear what you're saying people's opinion opinions are important to a certain degree. What, the way that I approach it is I don't pull everybody in and ask everybody the same question. I say, who needs to be part of this decision or who, who's, who has information I need to help me make this decision. And then I go directly to them, or I have a small meeting of just those key people. And then I put something together and I say, okay, actually I need this piece. And then I go pull that person in and I sort of build the narrative around the right people who have the right information I need to then take it to the greater team and say, okay, based off of all the information I have and the data available, this is where I'd like to take this. Yeah. And I think there's no objections. Well, there's that. And then it's like, well, we should be decisive. We shouldn't have to ask everyone for permission 
Like we have experience, right? And that's mm-hmm. what we're hired to do. And so it's also having that confidence of like, I'm going to make some tough, tough decisions that maybe people might not feel included in, but I think it's in the best interest of the company and soliciting it for full opinion. There, there are times where you want to get as broad opinion as possible. And then there's times where you just know what the right thing to do is. And then there's some gray area there too. And I, I can give an example. So like when we got acquired by Cisco, they, they dropped in my lap. I own product marketing for Duo, something called Zero Trust. And they're like, we need a Zero Trust strategy. We have a huge team that's already working on it. There's over 100 people involved. Um, no lie. Uh, we want to be in the top of the Forrester wave with this person named Chase Cunningham, uh, industry analyst at the time with Forrester. And that's your job, right? And the first thing I did is I'm like, there's no way we can get inputs from a hundred people and do this effectively. Like we'll never get there. So I literally recreated the, the, the team. And it was like, I think it was like six to eight people and that's it. And most of them actually worked at duo. So everyone at, at all these people that were involved in the strategy were just pissed. And I'm like, I'm like, Hey, I'm really sorry. Like the intention here is to do what we've been asked, which is get a go-to-market strategy out and win, uh, win this wave or be a leader. And I deducted it down. And I, I, I basically said, like, we can do this with a team of like six or seven people. And we might go to some other people to ask for advice and help. But uh, we ended up, you know, taking on that strategy and we ended up top, top on the chart. Uh, and so a lot of that just had to, it was me coming in, you know, newly acquired company and saying like, yeah, I know I can do this. I know I only need a select amount of people. And we don't need all these additional opinions in the room um, because it doesn't really add, it's not going to get value uh, from that perspective. So that's an example of like some of the really tough decisions where what I consider to be like pruning early <laughs> uh, allowed us to actually focus on spending the time to get the outcome we were looking for, uh, which, which turned out really, really well. I find a team more than seven or eight on anything is too much. Is that crazy? No. And that's it. And that's, what's tough is once you get to these larger companies and they have 150 people, 75 people on a WebEx or a meeting, right? Um, It's like, how, uh, how do you even make a decision? Um, And so from my experience, it's like, well, actually, all those people who shouldn't be in the decision-making process, they probably should be more in the outcome-making process. Um, and so like, hey, I want to share the good news once we get there, but I don't need, they don't have to come along the journey from the beginning. Um, and I think, I think a lot of times that's some of the um, uh, misunderstanding that creates a lot of wasted energy and time, uh, depending on what responsibilities different people in the organization have. How do you navigate the politics of that like you made a pretty clear decision it sounds like you were given the power to oh yeah yeah cisco the leadership team you have to have alignment with the leadership team uh so i had alignment with both duo leadership as well as cisco executive leadership on this and so there were some tests where i'm like i'm gonna make these decisions and i i have no idea how cisco leadership's gonna respond but that was what it was amazing is cisco leadership is like no this is the direction we're going and I had amazing advocates at the leadership level within Duo at the time that backed me, right? So having, having that leadership um, uh, alignment is crucial 
uh, in order for you to be successful in these cases. Um, uh, you know, when you're making big, big strategic decisions like this. How and then you, you have to, you, you have to own it too. I was like, Hey, if we fail, that's on me. And I feel, I felt that every day. Oh, I bet. Uh, that's yeah. That's tough to walk into. A, I don't know if you physically walked into a room of a bunch of people and said, listen, we're not going to go this way, but even still it's hard. It's, it's hard to carry that weight, especially like you, based on your experience, you feel really good about it, but man, if it's if for some reason, it doesn't pan out as you assumed, you got a hundred people looking at you being like, what happened? But I mean, yeah, and, well, and a lot of them, a lot of them were very technical. So they're like, you're, you don't have a CCIE. You're not qualified to do this. Um, like you don't have these certifications and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to discount people with those things. Right. Or people that made those claims, but it's like, yeah, I don't, which actually gives a different perspective. And I'm, I'm a pretty big advocate that like, you don't need a college degree and you don't need a certification in order to figure out what the right things to do are in most things. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding there. So like more, more or less being focused on making the decisions that are right with the information you have, regardless of whether you're technical or not, um, is something that people should, should, um, uh, should be enabled to do. So how do you build that trust then with leadership? Because it sounds like to be able to be decisive and feel like you have the solid ground to make clear decisions and know that leadership is going to back you without having to go negotiate with them every five minutes. What was your strategy in, in building that relationship? Yeah, you always had to be adding value first. Uh, so if I just ask for their trust, that means nothing. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's like, hey, let me go deliver things for your teams that are going to be valuable that they're going to say, hey, this stuff is awesome. And this is helping me do my job better, right? Uh, let me see what the needs of the leaders are. Uh, but normally, it's like, it's actually better to focus on the things that people need on the ground floor than what the leaders think. Um, and I think it's a balance, you have to be aligned there. But like, normally, if you solve the problems, especially in marketing and go to market on the ground floor, more leads, case studies, um, like that all makes an impact on marketing externally, but then it also goes up to management where management is like, wow, the team's really happy. They have these assets and these things. Whereas often the sales leaders are like, dude, we need some case studies. We don't have any case studies. We don't have um, the leads that we need. We need more lead volume. Um, and so I, th I think it's like genuinely getting ahead of all that. And first adding as much value as you can, you're going to have to make some tough decisions as well. Um, I know like every, every position, every job I've had, I have to make tough decisions on the, on the start. And I think the best thing as well is it's like, you have to find the right companies and the right people to work for. Cause like, if they're questioning your recommendations right off the bat and they won't let you do anything, then, you know, you have to, you really have an uphill battle. Um, if that makes sense. So like, that's one thing, you know, I've been at Nucleus for two months is great is, I've made some tough decisions and the founders have been incredibly supportive from day one. I'm like, yeah, cool. We hired you because you have experience and you know what you're doing. Let's do it. Um, and, and, you know, fortunately they've, they've turned out to be the right decisions a lot of the times, but th those are the things I think that like sometimes people struggle with, with um, is like, well, the CEO or COO or the CTO want to do these things. Uh, you might know they're not the right things to do, but it's about having an understanding, having the conversation, and then 
um, maybe figuring out what the best uh, approach forward is. Um, and you don't, you also don't want to say no to all the ideas, right? Yeah. Uh, so there's a balance in there uh, of like calculating properly and how to help build the right trust um, with those leaders. Have you ever made a bad decision? Oh yeah. <laughs> I make, so in the I pocket, make lots, so I'm just curious, like, uh, like I make lots of, lots of bad decisions. Like you try and not make the bad decisions twice. Um, and you try and limit them. But like one thing I genuinely believe in is intuition. Um, some people have it and some don't. And it's hard to overcome bad intuition uh, is what I would say from an experience perspective. So sorry for those out there that don't have uh, good intuition. Um, but I, I, do, I do think it's like it, there's certain learning things you can do to help that. But like most people have genuinely good intentions and decent intuition. Um, and so it's like, well, you're going to make the probability is if you make decisions, you're going to make more good decisions than bad. Uh, and so if you, if you live kind of by that of like people have good intentions, yes, we should make decisions. There's going to be more good than bad. Try not to make the same mistake twice. Uh, you're probably in pretty good shape, uh, from my experience. Two things you said there that I really loved that I want to dig into. One is your intuition and some people have it and some people might not, um, I, I do think imposter syndrome and other things sort of come into play where you stop trusting your gut, where nope. you're like, I have a feeling about this. Do I say it? Somebody else is thinking about it. It'll be fine when your gut's telling you, like, you really should speak up about this. And it's hard to sort of find your voice in those moments of, so for people who are, who want to be in a seat that you are, and they're working their way towards that, what do you say to that about trusting your, your intuition and building upon getting off of that imposter syndrome and letting that go? Yeah. So I, I can, you know, I can relate a little bit different. I don't know that I have imposter syndrome, but a lot of people in marketing do. Um, like I've experienced con great content marketers, great demand gen people across an organization, but like marketing is pretty frequent and common product marketing too. Um, and so I think one thing is, is like, yeah, it, 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 if you have in, this intuition in your head that like something isn't right, it's probably not right. <laughs> um, uh, if you have a gut that like, if we do this one thing, it's going to be a home run, like that's probably right. Um, and then there's some gray area, uh, like maybe, maybe you're not hundred percent confident, but you should do something. And so I would just say like, yeah, that's part of imposter syndrome is making decisions, be kind to other people around you. Um, I would say, and, and how you go about making decisions, a lot of imposter syndrome also is like, well, I don't want to offend people. Um, or I, I, you know, I don't want to be negative towards them. And so I think, uh, um, that could be introvert as well. Um, uh, you just have to be okay with like, okay, how do I frame and say things and provide feedback in a way that's going to be productive? Um, uh, you know, so that you're not hurting people's feelings or making a negative impact. Sometimes though, you got to make decisions that don't feel good, uh, as well. Like that's a part of a job if you're going to be a leader anywhere. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't like, I, I take that personal. A lot of times I have high anxiety. So like, it's never fun when you end up in these circumstances where people can't do their job or you have to make a change and things of that nature. Um, but that, that's kind of a reality of like, once you become a leader or manager, things you're going to have to do. 
uh, is you're going to have to make not only easy decisions, but tough decisions as well. Yes, to all that. I think that's so important. And I think the idea of perception, you keep saying this, I, this, if people can know that you're, you're making decisions with the best intentions and to be kind, there is this trust that sort of you have to put to the outside world that they're going to take the most respectful interpretation of what it is that you're doing, which isn't always the case, especially if you're coming into a situation brand new, like, oh, I don't know, taking over and uh, saying, we're not gonna use the hundred people that you pointed to this. So we're gonna use my six person team over here. Um, there is this sort of perception that builds of that they're not, that you didn't have the right intentions and you're not doing the right thing. And, you, and, and so how do you, you talk a lot about building the narrative and I feel like that comes in to this, right? Like you can't just make a decision and then go with it and expect people to just get on board. There's a story that needs to be told, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think part of it is, is building that trust. Um, and even in a lot of my different roles, like you, you, I've acquired new teams many, many times over. I moved out to Europe, right? Mm -hmm. And Europe had an existing sales and marketing team and it wasn't working. That's why I had to move out there when I was at Duo, right? And so like, yes, hey everyone, I'm gonna ask a ton of questions. I'm not trying to intimidate you. Uh, like, you know, let's take a step back. Like I'm here to help. I'm gonna ask you to do things. And please be open-minded and try them because these things work and they're proven. And I know this is a different country and I know it's a different region, but like people tend to be people everywhere, right? Uh, so let's try what we know. And if it doesn't work, then we'll have to go and try different things. And it was really, I mean, kind of interesting. Like uh, the first pushback was like, you're not from here. You don't know what you're doing. Sales is different in Europe right uh and so I, it's so much pushback and it's like well prove it to me like give me the opportunity to teach you and let's do it the way we know it works in the states and if it doesn't work then we'll then we'll do otherwise and it's like it's not gonna work and it's like have you tried it <laughs> um and so yeah it's like well hey i'm just being people that are open-minded great cool if you're not going to be open to try this stuff i can tell you you probably should go find a job now. And I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm not, your job's not at risk, but like if you're choosing to not do what, what we're recommending because like things aren't working out here, the outcome's probably going to be, you don't have a job or you don't have a job. Right. right. Um, and so sometimes you just have to put things very directly in that case. When I moved out to Europe, like I made about 50 changes in the first 30 days to that organization that I knew were right. So complete chaos, right? And then things normalized where a few people were like, Patrick's crazy, I'm out of here, right? It's like, okay, like, uh, I understand, I respect that. Like, that's cool, this isn't for you. The team that stayed though, they made more money and it was an awesome like several year run. Some of them still at Cisco through the acquisition, loving what they do. Um, and so I think it's that aspect of like, uh, you know, just communicating clearly. And I'm very transparent. It's like, hey, if, if this isn't the right job for you, um, and I tell people that work for me all the time when I acquire teams. Like, hey, if I'm not the right manager, if this, this isn't the right job for you, I'll be supportive and figure out how, to, how you get your next thing, whether it's internally or at a different company. But like, that's just the reality of like high growth, fast-paced startups. 
um, that it might not be the right fit. And like, we should be okay with that and be able to have dialogues and not fear that like, you know, we're going to, we're going to do something because you want to do something otherwise. Right. Uh, So help helping like genuinely, like I frame it like this. It's like, I want people to be happy in what they're doing. If they're not coming to work happy every day, like that's, that's a lose-lose for everybody. Um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And it's tough conversation to have. It sounds like when you're in, when you're a couple things, one, when you're transparent and upfront about how this is going to roll and you, and when you do get into a situation where you start making decisions, hard, small, medium, large, it becomes easier to have some, some of those tough conversations that might not feel so tough once they sort of show up because you're sort of used to being in those positions to make tough calls. Do you feel like yeah. you've had a lot of practice? And, oh yeah, ton. And what I find is like, there's an acclimation period where it's like the first couple of weeks you're dating, right? And then you, then within the, within the couple of weeks, you figure out really where you're at, right? And that's not like, normally that's when you start having those conversations with people of like, hey, do you really want to be here? Because in it might seem like in the cases that they don't want to be here. Um, And a lot of times people get on autopilot in different roles. And so like, I think that was the case when I went out to Europe was like, yeah, everyone just kept on doing the same thing, which wasn't working, but they didn't want to do anything different. Right. Right. Uh, So they're going back to what they knew. And that's, that's pretty common human behavior. Um, And so how do how do I help influence that and help change it? Well, I, I like in sales and marketing, you get more leads and you get more money in the door. That's ultimate. Like when people see they can win, they're going to be happier. They're going to be more excited. So how do you get there as quickly as possible? Um, is a lot of the question I think about on the go to market side. One of the things you said earlier, I want to go back to is you mentioned the way that you build trust. Like when you first showed up, you, you said to your, to your team in London, I'm going to ask a lot of questions how do questions, you know, questions feel really hard to, to sit in without immediately jumping to problem solving mode. How do you stay, how do you stay in the questions and not immediately want to put your mark on the answer? <laughs> I'm, I'm probably the wrong person to ask that question, to be honest. Um, you know, in, in building high growth and moving as quick as I can, like I am trying to make a decision as quick as I can. And I, if I can put it to rest, but sometimes you have to collect a bunch of information and anecdotes that over time then lead to coming to conclusions on something, right? So like, what is the, you know, what is the right thing to do? Well, right now on the marketing side, like, hey, let me collect lead attribution the best that I can to figure out what's working so I can make investments in those areas, right? Um, and so that takes time to collect that information and get a better idea of the world of how I make investments from a marketing strategy perspective, or maybe there's other things I'm not doing out there that I should be doing um, and other experiments that, that I, I, we could try that could lead towards more, more leads. Um, so I think it's like keeping an open eye as far as like um, uh, just being open in general. I and mean, like, what things can we do to be different and tackle um, maybe new opportunities that other people haven't seen or been able to take advantage of before? All right, two last questions for you, and then we'll get to my rapid fire. One is, um, and we're circling back to the beginning a little bit, which I which I think is good because we're coming sort of full circle. Um, the first question is, you're very decisive. You walk in, you you sort of find the anecdotes you need, and you make quick decisions. At what point 
is are things collaborative ever or are you just clearly the decision maker oh no you gather uh, the yeah, data and yeah. then you decide but sort of i'm not judging no 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 i'm trying to understand because yeah. i because i do think there's you said it too that there's a balance so like what is what is that balance yeah so i think you have to look at the actual decision that needs to be made right uh so like uh things like things like branding right uh, and here's a good example is I can make some, some decisions like, hey, base level, like business card or other things, right? But if I'm going to try and change and have a bigger branding strategy, I probably should include my CEO and COO and other people involved because that's going to change the dynamic and look and make sure they're aligned with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a that's an interesting one example of like, who should I include when and how? Um, oh, should we do this podcast? Um, I can maybe me and, and um, partner in crime and demand gen can come to a conclusion and make a decision on that, right? So it's like, who actually needs to be involved in this process? Um, and who owns it and responsibility? And do, do you need additional inputs to make the right decision as well? Uh, is another question to ask. Uh, too, but yeah, I tend to, I tend to like love to work collaboratively um, uh, with other people and making decisions. But just knowing, like, if I included everyone on every decision we tried to make, we'd probably do fifty percent less of what we're doing today um, because of that cost. And so mm-hmm. it's really, yeah, it's really a balance. And then I think the other thing is, is like, how do you create an input so that in marketing we can two new things that are other people's ideas. So like making sure that you're on the sales calls on a weekly basis, making sure that you hop on calls with the sales team, making sure that you're talking to your security and research team. Right. And so like one, one decision I made um, for example, is we have a PR firm and on that PR firm call was our CEO, COO, and like five other, six other people. And I'm like, well, this is, this is not productive time for you. It doesn't make sense. So let's let's remove you from the primary meetings. I'll pull you when we need to make a decision and when we need to collaborate. Uh, but but the executives didn't have time to give. And then it's like, oh, well, we have two security researchers over here, which are excellent at engaging in PR that will pull them on demand when necessary. And now we saved the company a ton of time, executives a ton of time, and we can move more agile and quick, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not that we're trying to exclude them from the process. It's like, how do I give back time to them and include them when necessary? So we extract the maximum value with the minimum amount of effort uh, is, is an example of like some of the decisions I made here uh, coming on board pretty quick. I love what you're saying in terms of, because meetings definitely suck up a lot of time, especially when you're like in info gathering it's very easy to fill people's schedules and calendars to get that data. But if you can join existing things that are already happening to collect that data as being a fly on the wall, um, that seems like a great use of maximizing your energy in those early days. All right, last question for you. Um, Coming full circle, because we talked about this early on, but I just want to dig into it for a second of how do you not get overwhelmed? You said it, you come in and you have all, you know, all these things that you could potentially be doing or all these people you need to potentially be working with. And it gets very easy to sort of get blown and not know where to begin or what decisions you need to be making or where to even start. So how do you 
get in the zone, stay focused and be decisive? Yeah, I, I mean, I think a few things, which is like, when I, when I get overwhelmed, I, I have a chalkboard, like no lie, I, I work in an old school. So my office is, is like a, I made it into a skate shop and there's oh, a chalkboard. Uh, yeah, you got the two over the door. You got the chalk. Oh, yep. I can totally see it. And, yeah. and so I'll walk over and it's like, if I feel overwhelmed, it's like, okay, what, what things do I need to actually execute on and make decisions? And I'll put them on the list. Right. So like right now I have HubSpot up top, which we're, we're working on this SFDC migration. Like that's number one. Number two, I have a new hire that's starting next week, right? Uh, so Riley, that's number two. Um, number three is migration. So I guess that ties to HubSpot. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, number four is a technical partner that I need to, actually, I knocked that one out already. A lot of these I'm knocking out. And then the last one says Neon Museum and Pinball, which is we're going to Black Hat in Vegas. And I have these crazy wild ideas that we could do something there, right? So that's a little bit of like, that was, I think, Friday I wrote these because I was like, all right, what does Patrick need to focus on today? Um, and I, I think just being okay that like, there's always going to be things that feel like you don't get done because there's an uh, infinite amount of things, but refocusing and resetting yourself on like a daily or couple day basis uh, on what your priorities are. Daily basis. I love that. I think that's so key to being able to make decisions because yeah, it's so easy to get and to not get derailed. <laughs> like your team comes knocking on your door and you're like, that's a great problem for tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah. And it's okay. Like there's things that it's like, it's, it's okay. This isn't a number one priority. Like I'll get to it later. And sometimes I feel bad cause I'm a little bit new here as well. It's two months in and like, sometimes I'm not super responsive on things that I don't think are a high priority. Um, and, and it's just like, I can't do everything. Right. So I'll use that as an input. So I have that information and I'll try and acknowledge the people when I can. Um, but it, it is a, it is a balance of, information overload in a high growth startup uh and anywhere that you go oh i hope everybody had a notebook during this conversation so helpful thank you patrick before we wrap up here i have just my people first questions so people get to know you beyond being oh the vp of marketing that you are ready yep okay first question uh have you picked up any new hobbies in the last two years given the shift of COVID and remote work and all that fun jazz? Oh yeah. I mean like skateboarding I got back to, into during COVID. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have all the skateboards behind me uh, pre-COVID. Uh, so that's been a big one. I learned how to juggle. Um, I, I briefly became a TikTok influencer um, that I got, I got no longer am on TikTok. Um, there's probably a hundred things. I mean, I'm constantly a very curious person, uh, and I'm trying to slow down in this side of things is of like, I, I, I would literally learn new things on a daily and weekly basis, um, during COVID. Uh, and I, I just had like, I'm like, okay, it's time in my life to scale back a little bit on that piece of it. Um, and, uh, and have some sanity. <laughs> 
I totally get it. I love that though. Like that forever learner. I mean, I had masterclass going and Duolingo and uh, Blinkist and podcasts. I had it all going during COVID. I taught, I taught myself how to solve Rubik's cubes, like three, four, five, like just random stuff because during COVID it was so like, it was so desolate and we needed something to do. Um, and so it, yeah, put your brain to work and, and go. Love it. So good. Patrick, thank you. This was, this conversation is so important. So helpful. Appreciate you. It's been fun. That was my conversation with Patrick Garrity. I hope you're feeling solid in making decisions, no matter how big or small, no matter how often you make them, I mean, the clear message I got from Patrick was just start, like make one small decision today and then build on that, right? Right. The more decisions you make, the more better decisions you'll make and the more clarity and iteration you'll have as you make them. So just, just start. I hope you feel more confident in moving your marketing team and brand forward as you think about the decisions you have to make on a regular basis. Follow and connect with Patrick on LinkedIn. Patrick shares content about cybersecurity, go-to-market strategies, skateboards, and hot dogs, because you know, like we're all human and we all have lives outside of being marketers. And Patrick has no problem sharing what he's passionate about in relation to not only cybersecurity and marketing, but also you know, skateboards and hot dogs. So you're sure to learn from Patrick as well as have fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tea Time with Tech Marketing Leaders. If you found this episode helpful, please like, subscribe, and share. This episode is brought to you by MKG Marketing, our agency that accelerates the mission of cybersecurity vendors via SEO, digital ads, and analytics. It's hosted by me, Carrie Gard, CEO and co-founder of MKG Marketing, music mix and mastering done by Austin Ellis. And if you'd like to be a guest, please visit mkgmarketinginc.com to apply.